So why don't we pray first, and then I'll read the text, and we'll get started. Gracious and most merciful Father, thank you for your word. Please now give us your spirit. Reveal yourself to us in your word that we might love you more. In Christ's name, amen. So the text I'm using today for the, for the message is 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 6 and 7. So if you've got a Bible or there's Bibles in the back, if you want to, it's not a large text to, to have to read. So, um, you know, you, I didn't want to take three hours to go through it. This will take long enough as it is, all right? So 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So uh, just by way of background, I'm sure lots of you knew a, a little bit about Peter. Um, the idea that this, this was uh, Peter's uh, letter that he wrote to churches throughout the Roman Empire in the first century who were under some pretty severe persecution, um, probably at this time by the Emperor Nero. Uh, Nero really liked to do a, a lot of building, I guess, in Rome. And in order to do the kind of building that he wanted to do in Rome, he had to get rid of old buildings. And one way to get rid of old buildings is burn them down. And uh, caused a lot of problems in the, uh, in the, in the city with uh, the people who live there. And needed, Nero really needed some help with finding somebody to blame for his problems other than himself. Not something that's uncommon for politicians even in our day and age, 2,000 years later. Um, but uh, Christians were a wonderful uh, sort of source or target for that, for that anger and persecution of folks within the Roman Empire. They were already associated with the Jews who weren't exactly particularly um, well-liked. And um, Christians were a wonderful source to be uh, directed public anger against. Um, you're probably all aware of all the kinds of hatred that were, was directed at, at, at uh, our Christian brothers and sisters during that time. Now, as I go through this text, let's be clear, I'm not suggesting here that we as American Christians are experiencing anything like the kind of persecution that our brothers and sisters um, experienced during the, the first century here. But if you, if you read the other parts of the books, this, this um, command, this admonition comes at the end of the book. Um, Peter, throughout this book, um, in, in talking to those folks, continues to, to tell them that, um, you know, that they are to, to basically, in their suffering and in their persecution, share in the sufferings of Christ for the good of the world, for the good of the pro progress of the gospel. As American Christians experiencing different kinds of persecution as we may see it, um, we have to recognize that in this context— the kingdom of God moved forward. The kingdom of God grew. And that um, we have benefited tremendously from the suffering that, that our first century brothers and sisters went and persevered through. Um, we are the descendants of, um, of, that, of that benefit in a, in a very real way. So I'm just, as I, as I talk about this text, it's going to be done in a personal and practical way. I'm not trying to draw connections between you know, our current 
economic or political environment or cultural environment or anything like that. Um, the intent here is to be um, pretty just basic and personal for it, okay? Realizing that the context of who these folks was written to was a lot tougher than the kind of stuff that we deal with on a daily basis today. Um, so my uh, approach to the text, you know, I'll make it really simple. I think the directive here that Peter has given to us is humble yourselves, casting all your anxieties on him. Okay, so that's the basic directive he's given. There's some wonderful um, pieces to it, but I'm going to deal here with what I would describe as the practical aspects, the practical spiritual aspects of anxiety. Um, for me, the, sort of the reason this text was chosen is this is a very selfish kind of just choice for me. I don't, you know, I'm not preaching through a whole book or anything. I'm just giving a one-off message. It's really just easy and simple for me to pick something that I'm working through in my own life. Um, so, you know, those of you that kind of know me a little bit, uh, Tuesday was my last day on the job for a company that depending on, it's been three companies, but I've had the same job for almost 15 years. And I've probably worked since I was 14, and I'm 58 now. So this is the first time I've been, like, seriously unemployed ever, right? Um, Wednesday, when I woke up, the world wasn't over. But, um, you know, I don't have a job anymore. And I've got to transition to the full-time job of finding a job. Um, those of you that have either gone through that or how that affects you, understand that that has an impact on how you think about yourself and your identity and your role. Um, as great as it is at Eric's on sabbatical, which is absolutely wonderful he gets to do that, um, there's only a couple of officers in the church. The deacons are doing a great job helping him stand up. There's a lot that's kind of going on in the backgrounds that you guys don't know about, don't need to know about, and that's, that's fine. That's the way it ought to be. But when I look at the idea of I've got to find a job, Eric's on sabbatical, there's all kinds of church stuff that needs to get done that I basically don't really do a good job at to begin with and don't have the time to do all the things that need to get done. And then there's the home situation of, you know, it's great that I still have my wife, my adult daughter lives with us, my adult son lives with us, his wife, and my two granddaughters live with us. All great stuff. But my house can be kind of chaotic, right? There's, the way I describe it is there's always somebody awake, and there's probably always somebody asleep. That's just the way it is. And, and, that, and maybe you, you will appreciate it or won't, but that kind of chaos for me on a personal basis is I grew up in a very chaotic household, so physical chaos around me is uncomfortable, right? Because it basically reminds me of chaos um, growing up. But, like, I have to actually ask when it's okay to vacuum. Is everybody awake so that I can vacuum? Because I don't want to wake anybody up, right? That's how, that's how silly it is. Now, why do, I, why do I say all that stuff? Those are, all, those are not anywhere near the kinds of issues or concerns that um, our first century brothers and sisters experienced under Nero in Rome. But um, I've got some fairly big cares or concerns or reasons for anxiety. Um, I'm the, actually the only adult in my house that was making a significant income to support that whole crew. My son, who lives with us, is back at school now, full-time. Um, and so 
financial pressures to make all that kind of stuff work and all that kind of stuff is huge. Tied into that is my role as, as husband and provider for that whole family and for that whole crew. All of those things come together. What does it mean to be an elder and to serve in the church and do it faithfully? And, and, and guys, let, let's, let's be clear here. The, the intention of the church, especially, you know, the officers are coming to understand this. Problems is normal, right? That's, that is the way of life, and that is especially the way of life in the church. There is no, we're going to solve this problem and things are going to get good. No, it's not going to get good till Jesus comes again, and that's okay, right? So it's in the midst of that that we keep laboring to that stuff. Am I suited to this job that I'm called to do? I don't know. You guys were crazy enough to call me to it. I still, if somebody were to tap me and say, that's it, you're done, yay, on a personal level. Um, so um, all of these things mean worry and care and fear is a huge part of how I respond to everything that's going on around me. And so this is really practical for me. Um, and let's be clear, guys, these are all sufficient reasons for care and anxiety. And, and I'll also state why is because I am not capable of dealing with all this stuff, right? If I'm rational with myself, I am incapable of dealing with all that, right? It isn't just pull up my big boy pants and get to work and fix it because I can't fix everything that's going on. I can't. There's just no way. So I'm going to connect this idea of worry. The text uses anxiety. Other versions use the word cares, cast your cares on the Lord. Um, I'm going to connect worry, anxiety to fear. Think of it as kind of low grade, right? You've all been like really scared, right? Physically scared where all of a sudden your heart starts pumping, the, you know, the adrenal glands kick in and stuff like that. I'm assuming you've all had real dire physical fear. Sometimes it's just being told that you or someone you love is being threatened with a disease or something like that and the fear is just overwhelming. Worry is just low-grade fear. It's just kind of there. It's like a low-grade fever. It's not the full-blown 104, you're sweating and aching all over the place. It's you've, you're at 100, 100 and a half. You feel awful, and you just kind of motor through it, right? That's what, wearying, what worry and anxiety feels like, right? Um, and we all have concerns. We have concerns over the, our health and over the health of the ones we love, right? Um, you may have a parent who is suffering from serious illnesses or, or dementia, and how do, you, how do you take care of all those things? How do you deal with all that stuff? You may have a spouse with a serious medical condition that although progress is being made, there's going to be long periods of you know, work and, and effort and rehabilitation that have to happen. You may have a child or a loved one with a chronic medical condition that they're likely, it's never going to go away. And how are they going to live life like that? How are they going to deal with it? How are they going to be impacted by this physical problem that's going to, that's, that, that's going to be there? You know, almost all of you have young kids and have had to deal with it. With really young kids, you have, to, you have to worry and care. You have to protect them from themselves, right? You've all kind of baby-proofed a house where you can't let them at the, the medicine cabinet or the, the stuff under the sink because 
God forbid, they do something crazy and hurt themselves, right? There's all kinds of things that we worry about and care about, rightfully so, and, and actually act to fix it. And the problem with the young kids doing all that stuff when they're young, it never really goes away, right? You start worrying about what kind of education you're going to give them. Are you going to be able to provide for them the right ex education? Are we living in the right place to give them in the right school? Are they in the right school? Are they getting the right kind of education so that they become happy, successful people so that they can live good lives, right? All the kinds of things that we care about. Um, you know, as you get older, do we, you know, are, are, do our kids have the right kinds of relationships? Are they in the right kinds of friendships? Is that, you know, are they, you know, as they get older and actually start to, it looks like they're going to get married or something like that. Is that the right kind of person? Or is that, you know, are, are my, my kids setting themselves up to be in a, a terrible, painful circumstance that, you know, isn't going to kind of turn out well. All things that we all worry about and see and, and are, are real concerns for us. Um, as we all grow older, how much ability do we have to continue to support ourselves and our families and to care for them? And, I, you know, I'm 58 years old, um, and I, this is not going to end well. I can tell. Like, by how this body is progressing, this is not going to end well right? This dying thing is not something I'm looking forward to, right? It's just, it's, this is not going to end well. Um, so all of this stuff is, you know, and, and the other thing to think about worry or anxiety is there's a future aspect to it, right? You're kind of projecting onto the future some concerns, legitimate concerns about the current circumstances today. I'm assuming everybody's got things that they regularly worry about and are anxious and concerned about. Um, it's pervasive. For me, um, a lot of it, what, what it boils down to is, I, you know, I've spent a lot of time dealing with it in, in my own life. And for those of you that kind of know me and deal with me on a regular basis, you may not, it, I may not seem like a terribly fearful person, but fear is the, is the most significant negative impact on my emotional state, my mental state, and then how I inflict that on the people around me because of that fear. Fear is a huge driver behind everything that is negative about how I engage with things, right? And, you know, sometimes the fear isn't as in your face as, you know, I'm going to yell and scream at you. Sometimes it's just worry and, and, and how I deal with things. Um, now, let me also be clear here that, so we all have this, but let me clear that, um, that the, for many of the emotional, mental experiences we, the experiences we have, for some of us, there's a physio physiological element to it as well, okay? And so, although anxiety is common to all of us, for some, it may actually manifest in some kind of physical or biochemical way, right? And um, although this, you know, what I'm going to be talking about is for all of us, it applies to all of us, for those of us who do have a more medically based, biochemically based thing, by God's grace, take advantage of the things that God has available to help you in today's world. And, and don't think of these things as either or kinds of approaches to things. Um, mental and emotional issues can also be dealt with medically as well as, you know, it's a common worry, anxiety, fear is a common spiritual malady to all of us. But there can also be physical aspects of things. If you broke an arm, if you broke a bone, or were diagnosed with cancer, or had a heart attack, and needed needed 
veins cleared or, or if you had diabetes and needed treatment and needed insulin, you would take advantage of the medical given by God's grace, the medical advantages given to us to take advantage of those physical aspects, as well as be praying about it. We do both those things. Those are not mutually exclusive. Okay? So let's be clear that if worry, fear, and anxiety is so pervasive for you that there might be a biochemical aspect to it, take advantage of the things that God has given us to help through those things. All right? So let me be clear about that. It's not an either-or kind of circumstance. Take advantage of medical professionals, therapists, all the means available to you. Okay? But the common aspect to all of us, and I, I need to rely on this as well, is for lack of a better word, the spiritual remedy that Peter has given us here in this text. That makes sense? Kind of, sort of? So, um, anxiety, worry, fear, it's all natural us. Turning to God in faith isn't, which is why we need him to tell us about that. Um, so I think, I hope we all understand the situation we're in with regards to worry, fear, and anxiety. One of the first questions as a Christian I need to ask myself is, but does God understand this situation? Does God know about this stuff? Um, I, don't, I think it's clear that God is not indifferent to our concerns or fears about this stuff. He knows us, especially in our weak and fallen state. You know, take a step back, guys. Nearly 400 times in Scripture, God says, fear not. Do you think if he says, fear not, nearly 400 times, he has a clue that we might be fearful? I think so, right? Just if somebody says something to you nearly 400 times, do you think they know something about it? Probably. I think that's a safe assumption to make. So he knows, um, and he knows our weaknesses. For lack of a better word, he expects us to be afraid, Okay but he doesn't leave us there. Um, he's gracious to, towards us, even in that state, especially in our need. A couple of things to, to, you know, to remind you. Um, it's written uh, that he has said he will never leave us or forsake us. Uh, Hebrews 13, Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Philippians 4, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He meets us in this need of worry, fear, and anxiety, even if it's self-inflicted, right? He meets us in that need, even if it's a self-inflicted need, even if we're doing this to ourselves, okay? Um, so what should we do with our worries, fears, anxieties? Um, the text says, the text is really simple what to do with it. Cast it all on him. Cast all your anxieties on him. This is a paraphrase of Psalm 55, which says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. The casting word used here is really similar to the casting word that was used um, in Luke to describe on Palm Sunday when the disciples cast their garments on the donkey um, so, that, so that Christ could ride on the donkey. If I... If I put my garment, put my blanket on the back of a donkey, do I have it anymore? No, it's on the donkey. It's gone. It's not, I don't have it. I don't have control over it. It's someplace else. That's what God is asking you to do with your cares, worries, and anxieties. I, that to me is, is, it's crazy. It's amazing, really, right? He's not saying, because here, here's some of the things that 
you know, I almost expect God to say, because these are the kinds of things that I would expect to say, um, you need to fix this, and here's some pieces of advice that I'm going to give you about how to make the situation better or to keep yourself out of this circumstance so that it never happens again, right? Because I'm going to tell you, that's what I expect God to do is tell me how to fix this so it doesn't happen again. Or here's my rule book to make sure that you don't mess up again and that you don't have to deal with this ever again, right? Or here's my 12-step plan to help you work through your cares so that you'll learn how to manage them better, right? So that you can just kind of keep them under control and you don't, you don't have to, to deal with it as much. Or just suck it up and deal with it, right? Build a bridge and get over it, right? Um, ignore it. Pretend like they don't exist. Or what are you worried about? You're being silly or stupid or wrong, no, take those weaknesses, those fears, and those worries, and God says, give them to me. That's crazy. That's not how we behave towards each other, right? Too often than not, when, when somebody in my family brings to me with a worry or a concern, I automatically come up with, well, here's the three things you need to do to fix it. God doesn't do that to us. He says, give it to me. Cast it on me. What a gracious God. He knows what a mess I am. And his response is, give it to me. So how do we cast our anxieties on the Lord? So how do I do that, right? Because I don't know about you, but anything that I've ever let go of, let go of has claw marks all over it, right? It doesn't go away easy right? I, it has to be pried out of my hands, and there's probably fingernails still embedded in it, right? Letting go of things is not an easy thing to do for me. Um, he gives us the means to do this. How do we cast our anxieties on the Lord? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Now, that kind of seems crazy, but let's just work through the text. Um, I cannot prescribe a simple technique for you to humble yourself, um, too often for me personally, um, humility has come directly through humiliation, right? That's the path I have to walk to get to humility. But the good thing about that is that um, God has a right understanding of, of how to do this. Um, real humility, biblical humility, comes directly out of a move toward a right understanding of who God is and who I am and who I am not, equally who I am not. Again, cares, anxieties, and fears. Take a step back and think about it, guys. It's all inward-focused, right? When you're worried, when you're fearful, when you're anxious, it's all inward-focused, right? If you're inward-focused in the middle of that mess, are you going to find something in you that's going to fix that? No. No. You don't have the resources to do that. So God has provided the means, and he said, go to him. So I'm going to talk some practical kind of spiritual stuff that you guys— likely all know about, so um, bear with me. But So it says here, to humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Key phrase there to me is mighty hand of God. So meditate on the mighty hand of God. Some things to think about as I walk through this text. So meditating on Jesus as the right hand of God, the rolled-up sleeve of God, ready to do the work of redemption. Scripture describes him as that over and over again. Meditate on the hand of your Father, resting on your head, granting to you the blessing of your older brother, Jesus. Just as 
Isaac did with Jacob. Meditate on the hand of God that formed mankind from the dust of the ground after he had spoken the entire universe into existence. That's the hand that you meditate on. That's the mighty hand you meditate on. So what do I mean by meditate on these things? So again, basic discipleship stuff here. Um, If the Christian life is to be a relationship with God, um, relationships are experienced on a human level through conversation. Conversation is a great way to experience a human relationship. We can see on a human level how our conversations with others cover a huge variety of subjects, mundane things and big important things. My wife and I'll be talking about who's going to clean the bathroom when and what we're going to have for dinner as well as, you know, future relational issues with ourselves and our family and all kinds of other things. We'll talk about big things and little things in that conversation. Um, The same can be said experientially with our relationship with God. That's how our relationships with people grow. That's how our relationship with God grows. So what do I mean by a conversation? How do you start a conversation with God? It's really simple. It's prayer and meditation, right? Prayer is the mechanism God has given to us to talk to him, to bring to him all of our cares and concerns, big concerns, little concerns. Talk to him about everything. Um, Meditation is us listening to what God has to say. I'm not talking here about necessarily hearing an audible voice of God, waiting for some actual spiritual kind of experience that says, you know, God is going to write some specific message to me. Um, Let's be clear. How do I listen to God? It's really easy. He speaks through his word, the word made flesh, Jesus. How do I get to know and, and hear from Jesus? It's called the Bible. That's how I know Jesus. And so it really is, if I want to hear from God, It's as simple as leveraging the Bible, as leveraging Scripture to do that. Um, I'm not saying here that by doing these things right or regularly or perfectly, you're going to be a great Christian or by failing to do these, a bad Christian. I'm just simply describing a mechanism that God has given to us to have a regular ongoing conversation with him. Right? Prayer is talking to him, meditating, reading his word, meditating on, on the word, reading it, perfectly fine, making it come alive. We probably all, you know, for lack of a better word, I'll I'll describe something like we probably all, like I'm a fan, some of you guys know I'm a fan of like comic books and superhero movies and stuff like that. It's easy, especially I grew up fantasizing as a kid being in those worlds, right? The great thing about that imagination that God has given to me is that I can apply that imagination to God's word, so that I can imagine, I can meditate on the idea that in much the same way that Isaac laid his hand on Jacob to give him the blessing, God the Father lays his hand on me to give me the blessing of my older brother Jesus. That's basically entering into the scripture, the story that God has already given us, and making it alive for me, for lack of a better word, right? Does that? I don't know if that makes sense to anybody else. Um, but it's not, it's not just words on the page. It's God talking to me and to use his images of how he describes this over and over again. Um, in turning to God, in looking to him, we hear from him in his word. Um, we speak to him in our prayers and bring to him all our cares and concerns, small and large, because we are not able 
and he is. That's humility. It's really as simple as I can't, he can. So I'm going to talk to him about it. It's really just that simple. It's an ongoing conversation, a back and forth, hearing from God and talking to him. Um, It's taking our cares like we would a spouse, a dear friend, a therapist, and then turning to the scriptures to hear from him. He is gracious towards us. Um, And let's be clear here, guys. God is responding. He has responded and will respond specifically to all of our concerns, to everything that we bring to him in Christ, the righteous one. And one way to think about Christ as the righteous one is, this is just one way to look at it, is he is the one who makes everything right. He does. So, then you've got this other weird one here. This is a tough part of the the verse. So that at the proper time he may exalt you. Um, So right after the humbling thing, we've got this exaltation thing. Exalted sounds pretty good to me. I don't know about you, right? But that, that immediately sounds pretty good to me. Um, it, it sounds like if I do this right, God is going to give me some really cool stuff, right? I'm going to get some really cool stuff out of it. I'll be exalted. Um, let's be clear. There is no explicit or implicit guarantee of anything called exaltation in this lifetime that I would define. My definition of exaltation is, on a human level is probably a really, really bad thing for me, for me and for everybody else. Um, so once again, beloved, meditate on this. And this is, you know, this was the, this led me to this verse, um, which is, you know, Eric preached on this book uh, a couple of months back, but it's, it's something that we, we just, you can't get away from. And I'm, I apologize, I'm going to read the, the big chunk of it because it really is that, that important. So, so beloved, take a practice, a little practical practice. Meditate on this. Meditate on these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We have the sure promise of glory. He has made us children of God in Christ, co-heirs to the kingdom, Jesus as our brother, who shares with us his very nature as the beloved Son of God. Guys, there's no higher exaltation than that. Can it get any better? 
It's not ours because we do this or we don't do that. It's the work of God, plain and simple. And it's ours in Christ, now and forever. So fix your eyes on his kingdom. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things that are on earth. Indeed, to see this and to take this as real and true, more true than my circumstances, than the actual circumstances of my life and the things that I'm actually worried and care about, um, my feelings, my predictions, my hopes, my fears, my anxieties. Meditate on this. Um, This is not just some spiritual painkiller that I'm to take to relieve my cares. Our physical existence is real. The circumstances and the issues that we deal with in in our physical existence are real and true, and they're there. But we need to view it through the spiritual reality of who we are in Christ. And remind me again why I should humble myself and cast my cares on him. And he ends it here with, because he cares for you. The clear and consistent and unambiguous testimony of all of Scripture is that God cares for you. So, beloved of God, meditate on this that you've heard a million times. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You've all heard this a million times, seen it on billboards, Facebook posts, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes you hear things so much that they start to lose their power. Please don't let that familiarity um, with, with with that verse lose its power in your life. But remember, beloved, this isn't some high theological summary, even written by Paul or one of the great apostles. These are the very words of Jesus himself. Jesus says these things. The greatest theologian who ever lived. And this is the good news, that God is the good news, that Jesus is the good news. Um, The good news isn't just a statement of facts or uh, a recitation of of the right doctrines. Again, the the, the good news is a person, it's Jesus. And so again, let's hear from him directly and meditate on these words from him, for, especially for those like, of you who are like me, who worry, fear, and anxiety too often motivates your life. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He calls you with your cares, with your concerns, with your worries, anxieties, and fears. Go to him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that uh, you are a God who cares. Even when uh, more and in rightly way, in, in more right ways than we can ask or imagine. Father, I pray that uh, for all my brothers and sisters who are like me, who struggle with worries, cares, anxieties, and fears, that uh, we may take these to you. We may run to you. In Christ's name, amen.